Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the, I don't even know how many editions we've done now of the Ryder Rumbling video podcast. I was counting once upon a time. Uh, I kind of lost count during the uh, long hiatus. Um, I am here with uh, my worthy constituent, uh, Dr. Murray McCormick, and we're going to discuss the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They're preparing for Saturday's game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, 8 p.m. Mosaic Stadium, plenty of good seats still available. Uh, The Rough Riders are coming off a 33-29 loss to the East win. Lions on Friday. Win. 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 Oh, boy. It feels Realize. like a loss. It feels like a loss still. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting uh, um, scenario where you almost feel like they have to recover from a victory. That's what I keep uh, thinking about this. Cody and there. I keep thinking about this. I'm going, yeah, they, they won the game, and, and Cody Fajardo made the point yesterday. Everyone's acting, you know, paraphrasing, is acting so sad that we, you know, they almost like they lost, but they won the game. The bottom line is they won the game. and. You know, if they lose that one, holy smokes, do we have a whole lot of fodder for uh, for the next week or so to talk before they're heading into the targets. Even if they win, we have so much fodder because of the the strange quirkiness of that game to go up 31 nothing, and then sort of take your foot off the gas and let the Lions back or the, let the Lions back in or did the Lions claw their way back in? Yeah, I'm not sure they took their foot off the, off the gas as much as they got out of the car and let it uh... – Go yeah. over a cliff. <laughs> Maybe they just, <laughs> but they didn't have the Thelma and Louise ending. That ended up no, uh, just being fine. But it was still, it's such a, you and I, you know, we, we still talk about how, what what do we get from that game? Do we do we sort of build up on that first, those first three offensive possessions when they just look like, holy smokes, I don't think I've ever seen them look that good. And, you know, you talk about but in a long time, because they that efficient, like, and we talked a little bit about how we, we couldn't even take notes. There was such a fast-paced offense that things are happening, and they're just watching and going, boy, is this going to be a route? And then somehow they Lucky Whitehead scores that touchdown over Nick Marshall, and it seemed to get the Lions back into the game. And there they are. We're here talking about a game from Friday, still still scratching our heads and wondering what's going on, what happened. I mean, it's uh, the pace of the offense, and we talked about it on Friday night at the game. My routine is often, I write down every play, keep my own play-by-play. And if there's a play of note or even if a play that has, there's anything marginal about it, I usually tweet something about the play. And it never really was a problem before. Uh, you know, during the Stephen McAdoo years, it certainly wasn't anyway. Um, but all of a sudden on Friday, by the time I'd written down, say, Fajardo to Moore, seven yards, uh, second and three, wherever the ball is. By the time I had written that down, they were pretty much ready to call the next play. I didn't have time to tweet yeah. anything about it. And if I did, and there were a couple of times I caught myself tweeting as the next play was starting, just because the pace of the offense was so much greater. And there's no way of comparing in terms of. I guess you go back to last year's or telecast from two years ago, and and uh, you know calculate how long they typically took between snaps. But just the it was exhausting watching that game. I can't imagine what it was like to play it. I, I think one of the things, looking back at that fast start, I think the Lions were flustered by Michael, Michael Riley's, you know, not starting the game. I think people know that he, he was scheduled to be started. His elbow wasn't quite ready to go and decided to go with Nathan Rourke. The Canadian quarterback gets the start. But I, I really think the Lions were a little flustered by that, a little shaken up by their man not being in there and getting this guy. Who, who they're going to say they had their back and, 
you know, you and I have been around this league a long, long time. We haven't seen many Canadian quarterbacks start a game. No. No, no, not, not in real life. And more, no. Maybe back in black and white days and stuff. But Well, I'm doing actually doing a flashback on the last time the Riders played a Labor Day weekend game that didn't involve the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And it was September of 1981, and the Montreal Alouettes starting quarterback that day, even though Vince Ferragamo was on the roster, uh, former NFLer, was uh, Jerry Dottilio, a Canadian. In 1980, he'd been named, uh, he'd been, he had quite, uh, quite the great year for Montreal in 80, and that didn't deter them from signing Vince Ferragamo away from the LA Rams. So, But there are so few uh, instances of that. Greg Vavra once won a start yes. against, against the Rough Riders when he was with, with Calgary. So you see it from time to time. Uh, we remember Brandon Bridge, uh, the successful version in 2018, the unsuccessful version in 2017, the unsuccessful yeah. version in 2018. Um, there, certainly, there certainly hasn't been a lot of very, very many examples here. Before Brandon Bridge, the last Canadian to start a quarterback for the Rough Riders was Eric Guthrie against the BC Lions on October 30th, 1977. So, yeah, it's been a while. How did I get on that tangent? Let's talk I about Friday against the Ham- Saturday against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, well, I don't think you're going to. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. I don't think there'll be Canadians starting in that game. No, <laughs> quarterback in that one. Two teams it's, that are really hard to figure. Uh, Hamilton. You look at the projections coming into the year. It was virtually a coronation that they were going to win the Grey Cup even before they snapped the ball in 2021. Um, the Rough Riders. Uh, it looked like they were going to win the Grey Cup based upon the first half performance, and uh, on uh, uh, based upon the second half performance, you wanted to win the Vanier Cup. So, <laughs> so they looked like they. How, how do you know? Um, Hamilton had a great start with one drive, albeit uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli is five for five out of the gate, throws, throws a touchdown pass, and uh, okay, that's the Hamilton team we were expecting, and then absolutely everything fell apart. The Rough Riders took a little longer for their offense to go into hibernation, but when they did, they were as uh, somniferous as the Tiger Cats were throughout the Winnipeg game. What I remember about that Hamilton game was how pouty Brandon Banks looked on the sideline. And I know there's a whole game, but every time they flashed to Brandon Banks on the sideline, he looked upset, frustrated, pouty, moody. Not like the guy who's coming off an MOP season, you know, like, and have been tweeting lots of good stuff. Remember the 2014 Grey Cup and how irked he was uh, on the in that game. So that you get that from Brandon Banks every now and then. Yeah. You also get a very dynamic player if he is, in fact, going to play on Saturday. He's limited yeah. in practice earlier this week. It's kind of – just touch on that. It's kind of neat reading injury reports that are actually kind of true. Yeah. You know, like, I'm so used to – I used to call – no PC isn't sending them out. I used to call the CFL transactions the biggest pack of lies I've ever read in the week. And now I'm reading the injury reports, and they're updated and stuff. And kudos to the CFL for finally joining the – 20th century and, and providing updated stuff because I think it's going to be good for people who are doing fantasy stuff and we've kind of you know, fantasy people who do what they like but it's there's there's reasons for them putting out to it. They're going to be a fantasy football league with people doing it. They've got to have and legitimate gambling. injury and gambling in a legitimate. That's the big one. I mean, yeah. CFL fantasy football has been around for a little bit but yeah. that hasn't been enough to compel the league to do something about it. It was the introduction of the pending in production of online or single-game betting that uh, finally made them realize that maybe they need to be upfront about these things. They wouldn't have done it out of the goodness of their heart. That, no, would, that, would, that would be asking. Frank O'Shea would not be telling people injury news. No. I, I did a story a little bit on it a little earlier during training camp of how transparent Craig Dickinson always was. And one of Craig Dickinson's answers kind of made me chuckle. He says, it's hard to lie. <laughs> you yeah. can't. 
it's easier to tell the truth than it is to, to, to keep saying what's going on. And Chris Jones, I imagine Chris Jones would be turning over, but not as great yet. But he'd be I mean, there's some CFL head coaches over the years that if you ask them to confirm that they had their hamburger on a bun, they wouldn't do, do that. I mean, they're so, they're so intensely secretive and so maniacally paranoid that uh, that's what you get. So this is certainly uh, uh, not uh, in the Constitution by nature of CFL head coaches, but there's larger issues at play here. Some of them, I mean, remember Ken Miller way back in the day, if you asked uh, Ken Miller about a player's injury, he might pull out the x-ray. Yeah. <laughs> he was so honest about the injuries. And then, you know, from uh, it certainly turned not long after that, not only here but everywhere. But at least we're getting them now. And it's one of the, So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that Tiger Cats? Are they – do we get which which rider team we're going to get? Can well, even... you know, Hamilton's kind of a banged up team too, yeah, and they, they have some issues along the offensive line. And I think those are pretty evident. The way Jeremiah Mazzoli was running for his yes. life uh, in the uh, in the opener against Winnipeg, so that certainly needs to be addressed. There were lots of questions about the Rough Riders' offensive line coming into the season, but they they didn't really. The worst fears certainly weren't confirmed in the opener against BC, whereas Hamilton just couldn't couldn't provide uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli with any kind of protection, at least after after the first uh, first series. So it might be uh, feasting time for the Riders', riders defensive line against Hamilton. That's just something they can do to, uh, to shore it up. And you have to give credit to Jason Moss, who recognized that there were deficiencies on the Riders. Or at least recognized not necessarily that there were deficiencies, but you're starting a um, – a left tackle in Brett Boyko, who was not expected to be the left tackle here this yeah. year. Uh, Logan Furland is playing his first game of professional football, and by the way, he's starting at left guard. Cameron mm-hmm. Jefferson is playing uh, right tackle again. Uh, not a lot, not a lot of you know, reasonable amount of, foot, amount of football experience there, and, and a good player. But it was his first uh, start as a rough rider. So, um, and that's a unit that just hadn't played together. And Craig Dickinson was talking the other day about how the offensive line should basically be five as one. Yeah. Well, there was no real opportunity to have any cohesion, especially without any preseason games. So recognizing that, uh, Jason Moss, I think, tailored the scheme to the, toward the, the personnel and be basically ensured that, in most instances, Cody Fajardo got rid of the football before Hamilton, or pardon me, BC, yeah. had a chance to get to him. Um, the average release time for Cody Fajardo pass was in the neighborhood of, I think, 1.75 seconds. 25 of his 35 throws were released in under two seconds. So there just wasn't time. Now, why didn't Hamilton turn to that? We remember the Hamilton offenses of way back when, when Danny McManus, not the most mobile quarterback in CFL history, was among the most difficult to sack because they got rid of the ball so quickly. So where is that uh, type of offense in Hamilton? Now, granted, the receiving core isn't uh, what it's accustomed to, to, to being. Braylon Addison wasn't around, which – Exactly, which yeah. the Tiger Cats, um, it's tough to kind of throw those hot patterns when you don't have that telepathy with the receivers, and they've had to reconfigure things a little bit with the receiving core. It would sure have helped if they had a player like Luke Tasker in the lineup. Luke Tasker. So they, they didn't have the, the, the neither the personnel or maybe the inclination to paint over to the extent that they could the fact that they had issues along the offensive line, whereas the Rough Riders, I think, were much more proactive in that regard. And uh, – that contributed to the disparate outcomes. I think the line's going to be, I think it's going to continue to improve. I don't think it's they're going to have a whole week of practice now, like a week of four days, whatever a CFL week is. And I think being together, being that five is one, is going to become more, they're going to become more cohesive. Now, 
I still think there's questions with Jefferson and Boyko. I really think those questions have to be answered. Boyko had tough times in in the BC last year. He got benched. They gave up all those sacks. And, you know, he was, he was injured all the time. I don't quite know what's wrong with him, but he said he was battling injuries. But that was one of the reasons why when the Riders signed him, it raised a few eyebrows that they would go with this often this injured offensive lineman. So. And now he's playing left tackle, left tackle, and tackle, yeah. projecting uh, Cody Pajaro's blind side. That was supposed to be Taron Vaughn's job, and now he's yeah. gone for the season with a shoulder injury. So Just think about uh, all the season-ending injuries, they were off, like Achilles oh and two, two kill, well, what, five Achilles, two knees, and now a shoulder. And, and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah. And they had season-ending injuries before the season could even begin. I mean, yeah, so. the Achilles epidemic earlier in the year, but... Uh, the Rough Riders have done a pretty good job, at least so far, of being able to weather that. Uh, Hamilton, despite the imperfections that were evident against Winnipeg last week, I still think they'll provide a very good test for the Rough Riders when you consider their their personnel and their really well-coached team. Uh, and I don't know. I've, to, to I mean, it was a glorified preseason game in some regards in that uh, nobody's really entirely sure what they have. Uh, teams are still trying to get into shape. Craig Dickinson certainly acknowledged the conditioning was an issue um, in, in the season opener against BC. And so uh, there's a lot of variables at play that wouldn't ordinarily be uh, as, as, as important. Um, for as what, long do you think, what do you think we're going to get to the point where it's a normal, not a normal season, where there's, we're not talking about conditioning, we're not talking about, we're talking more about how the impact of playing football and just plays are. Do you think, it's going to take another game to get to that point, and maybe even a little longer, considering the layoff. Or will be will football with the season day? really start at late? Yeah, will the season start? You know, on I mean, I think teams need to get a pretty good, a better handle on what they are and who they are, and uh, and uh, that's going to take a little while. The training camp without uh, without any real anger to be directed toward not op- toward the opposition for any form of opposition for a while is, is is it's a long grind, but it's not that accurate a barometer, and so. Yeah, I mean, the thing I like about this week, Murray, is it feels like more like a normal week. Last week, the, the, there was a, the storyline surrounding the game. Yeah, they were playing BC, but there was so much talk about 628 days between between football games and, uh, you know, perhaps wariness about uh, in, in throwing yourself into a crowd where people may or may not be vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. Just the logistics of playing a game, et cetera. Uh, so that felt... Uh, that almost has kind of a Grey Cup feel to it when there's this, this momentous game. Whereas now it's Hamilton's here on a Saturday night. Tickets are not selling nearly as briskly as far no. as I understand it. Uh, the Rough Riders are in their normal routine. It feels like another football game. And uh, there's less hype, but I think that's a welcome development in that it does signal normalcy, that, or at least a return to normalcy, that all those little side, those little uh, accompanying factors or ancillary, ancillary issues aren't really part of the the storyline. We're, we're, what we're talking about so far in this podcast has had to do strictly with football and the mechanics and protecting a passer as opposed to, um, you know, vaccination passports and all those things. So I think we have to remember what the Riders traditionally have a tough time selling East Division teams when they come to Regina. It's traditionally, they're not, there doesn't seem to be the buzz that when Calgary is going to be here and stuff. So Hamilton's, a, Hamilton's always been a tough sell. Toronto's another tough sell because it just it'll be more, it'll be better this year with almost half of the team made up of former Rough Riders that there will be maybe there'll be more easier to sell. But I also kind of think with ticket sales being a little slow, 
people had planned their lives, I think. You know, people people gone on vacations, planned vacations, and they weren't when the schedule came out and the season was here. And I know they missed the riders. Maybe they weren't as willing to change their schedules to accommodate another football game. And, and they got to the concentration. You know, yeah. a football game on a Friday, eight days later they play again, seven days later they play again, bye week, right. then they're at home again, then they're on the road, then they're at home again. So yeah. it's uh, that's you're front loaded so much of your schedule. Um, not, that might not be the easiest thing for a lot of people to uh, absorb financially or in terms of their timetables. Because as you mentioned, uh, August is ebbing away rather quickly here. And uh, <laughs> there's people who go to the lake. And Saturday is, uh, is a prime opportunity to, to enjoy this limited but uh, joyous summer that we have. So it's a little easier when you've got, you know, two weeks, sometimes three between home games. Um <laughs> Yeah, these East, East Division teams aren't necessarily a draw, but remember that uh, when Edmonton here was here in 2019 to uh, play the Rough Riders and the Riders have to win a game to finish first, they got a crowd that was lower than they would have gotten for a, for an East Division game with so much more at stake than would custom, customarily be the case. So I don't know if you can describe it just automatically to the nature of the opponent, but when I looked at the attendance, uh, the little dots, little blue dots in the stands on uh, on. Ticketmaster a while back, there were a lot of them for the Hamilton game, and a lot of them for the Ottawa game one week henceforth. So, yeah. I think Friday's almost sold out. Last Friday's game was the game you had to go to. I think that was must. Um, and we've been, there's many big events that come to Regina. Talk about the Rolling Stones, the Paul McCartney concert, the Heritage Hockey games. Those are things. Go well. Jets won two one. Despite middle and overtime. Yeah, that's true. But I, I think those are the events, if you're a sports fan, if you're a Regina, or if you're in Saskatchewan, you want to be part of. You want to be there to say, I was at that game. The first game, that test match when the Rams played at uh, Mosaic Stadium, that was a, a big game. in the So I think that was more of what Friday's game was. It was more of an event than a football game. Is that going to be different? I think this is more of a football game than an event. And it's just showing the signs of, you know, people also, people, I think, got out of the habit, get out of the habit a little bit, you know, like, they maybe they bet they put their money in for season ticket sales and they go well maybe you know it's just I don't want to go it's all on TV and we, that's an old 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 argument but it is on TV and it's presented very well so you know do you want to go to a stadium and watch a game or do you want to sit at home and not and drink your own beer and not spend nine bucks for a bottle of beer for a draft which I've heard a number of my friends complain about was the price of beer but you know sometimes I think if you can afford to get drunk at a Rough Rider game you have too much money. Exactly. That's way too $9 a beer. Holy smokes. That's a lot of money for a beer. Uh, I, the best thing we'll get back to the Tiger Cats game. What, what do you, what can we expect from Cody then? Are we going to see, because we always talk about quarterbacks. We can always talk about, but it's going to be on Cody. It's, you know, his second season as a starter, his preparation, what we saw against the, uh, uh, the Lions. So what are we going to see on, uh, Cody. I'm not sure there's a lot of fault that can be found with Cody Fajardo from that game. Yes, the interception that uh, that T.J. Lee, uh, or by T.J. Lee on the high pass intended for Shaq Evans, but if you look at the passes of Cody through, um, the the 10 incompletions, or 7 incompletions that there were, I mean, really, were there any glaring mistakes? He he dropped the snap on that one one play, and and William Powell had to pounce on it, but I'm not sure that the Cody is as much to, to blame as some of the some of the play calling. It just uh, the uh, you look at the, the the philosophy in the second half, and it certainly wasn't uh, tailored toward the circumstances of the football game. 
And uh, it almost reminded me of the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots when they had the comfortable lead and just kept playing as though they were they were uh, trailing. Okay. They didn't chew up the clock. They didn't diversify the offense. They were so one-dimensional that I don't think after a while they were that easy, that difficult to defend. I obviously... BC was able to do some things at halftime to figure out what the Riders were doing because 19 first downs over the first 28 minutes, two first downs over the remaining, uh, you know, 32. Uh, it didn't help that Shaq Evans dropped two passes. Uh, but I, I, I rewatched that game and I just I don't really see a lot that Cody Pajardo could be could be blamed for. Uh, I see some philosophical issues that certainly uh, yeah. came to the fore more than anything that can be can be pinned on Cody Pajardo. I like how he looked when he ran. You know, he made yeah. a couple of runs. He's, we forget that he's pretty mobile and he's he's lighter. He's kind of got that in mind. So I like how he ran. Uh, just another guy. I thought Braden Lenius had a great game too. I know it cooled off in the second half, but well, such a cool thing. <laughs> it's such a cool thing to see a guy like that score too. And Mitch Picton. And, you know, you think about it, they started six Canadians on offense in that game, without, you know, <laughs> the Canadian quarterback across the field on the other side of the line from it and stuff. So, but, you know, but the GMs keep saying there aren't enough Canadians. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. That game disproved the whole notion or a lot of the notion that there aren't enough games to go around. Mitch Pickton was his, with his first three CFL receptions, one of which was a 23-yarder after he wriggled out of trouble on the yeah, sidelines there. He got yeah. some extra yardage. Braden Lennius using his size uh, to his advantage, pretty much just shielding Marcus Sales off from the from the football on that 12-yard touchdown pass. So even you, you, you go further than that, and you look at some of the contributions by Albert Awachi, who made a key block, as did Keenan LaFrance, on the William Powell two-yard touchdown run. And mm-hmm. Albert Awachi was part of the pass protection on the on the touchdown pass to Kyran Moore, who the Rough Riders somehow found a way not to aim the ball for <laughs> over the final 35 minutes of the game after he was pe- after he was targeted eight times in the in the first 25. Again, those are the type of things that philosophically I think they have to look at. And why is William Powell, uh, aside from these continually ineffectual swing passes, phased out of the offense in the second half? And why is Kyron Moore uh, not being used? If you're not going to use him on offense, have him return punts. Get the yeah, ball into his hands. How does Kyron Moore, Moore, I mean, coming into the season, I think a lot of the expectation with Jason Moss is that he was going to use Kyron Moore especially. The Kyron Moore probably had the most to gain of anybody from being in the Jason Moss offense because he would get him in space and do all sorts of things. And even though Kyron Moore caught 78 passes for 996 yards and six touchdowns in 2019, that there was more to be extracted from him if, if they schemed accordingly. And it sure looked like they had done that over the in the early stages of the game. But over the final 35 minutes, he doesn't touch the ball once. You know, have him return punts if he's not getting the ball off. And do something with him. They could sure use an explosive play on, on special teams. They sure can. Uh I think we're just about during the end. I've got more rants. I want to rant no. about everything. You can rant about I everything. I haven't got the dog in yet, Mer. I mean, this is oh, a no. long oh. ago. Do you want to have a pause for the dog? So there's the dog in there? Here is Candy. Isn't she cute? I can't. We can't see her. her the towel, the blanket's in the way. Where is she? Oh, there she is. Or isn't she oh, cute? Yeah. You know what you should try doing someday, Rob? Posting stuff on Facebook about the dog. <laughs> You ever thought of that? <laughs> I love my beautiful dog. I know. Uh, so. my, my daughter was over with her dog a little the other day, and she's a, she's a nine-month-old puppy, and we had some Aww. fun, but I realized I don't want a dog. Too much work for me. Oh, I love it's, my dog. I'll, I'll take my cool cats any day, or my 13-year-old cats. 
And, and, it, and uh, as we talk about the Tiger Cats coming up, it, uh, exactly. And I'm looking forward to this game. I, I, it's it's uh, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what the how if conditioning is an issue and the forecast calls for mid 30s temperatures during the day on Saturday. Granted, it'll be cooler by 8 p.m., but that could be a that could be quite the taxing. How you get them in condition? You know, it's funny. Like Craig talks about getting them in condition and stuff, and they've been together now for four weeks. They, they think they would be in conditioning. But I watch them after practice. There's groups of guys running, you know, running sideline to sideline and stuff, and they, they're all doing what they can. I don't know how do you get in football shape other than playing football, exactly. which is going to take, as I said a little bit, maybe that's going to take two or three, maybe four games for the guys to get in shape playing football, and then we'll start seeing. But well, I can imagine if it's going to be, if imagine if they're playing during the afternoon on Saturday, what it'd be like for them to be playing at thirty plus degrees and stuff, and so. I'd like to take a second to acknowledge uh, and remember Ken Clark, uh, the best rider punter I've ever seen over a prolonged period. Granted, it was only four years that he played here, and, and only two full seasons, actually, those being 81 and 82. But Ken Clark, in, in 1982, averaged 47.3 yards a punt. That was a rider's single-season record. He topped that by one-tenth of a yard in 1983, and, of course, had that uh, field goal against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Labor Day weekend, 83, uh, after he was called upon as a, to be a place kicker after Dave Ridgway had been injured in the third quarter. And Ken Clark died on Sunday. He was 73 years old. Terrific guy, amazing punter, amazing uh, amazing athlete, a former Heck Crichton Award finalist with the St. Mary's Huskies. And uh, so uh, uh, I know a lot of the Ryder Nation, would, especially people of our demographic, would remember Ken Clark. You interviewed him while you were representing the Moose Jaw Times Herald after that September 4th, 1983 Labor Day exactly. yeah. game. And just a terrific, uh, terrific gentleman, a funny guy, and someone who's beloved by his teammates everywhere he played. And he played professional football uh, for 17 seasons. Started with, with the Portland Storm of the World Football League. Played in the Canadian Football League uh, for 15 seasons and, and became the second uh, Canadian to play in a Super Bowl uh, when he punted for the Los Angeles Rams in 1980. And, I'm sure you remember the first Canadian to play in a Super Bowl because he was a member of your beloved Pittsburgh Steelers. Roy Jarella. Roy Jarella. Yeah. Jarella's Jarella. Yes. So, uh, um, uh, Ken Clark was a terrific guy. I know a lot of people are really aching over mm-hmm. um, what happened. And it was a nice touch, by the way, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to set aside. And thanks to Ariel Zur, especially, for setting aside C-22 in the, in the press box and putting a little plaque on it in memory of Warren Woods, who we lost uh, yep. in January uh, to COVID. And uh, Woodsy, uh, they've done a nice thing over at Everaz Place. There's now Woodsy's Corner at the uh, at the Brand Center. I look forward to seeing that because hockey season's almost here. And, oh, uh, yeah. And uh, and uh, it just end? <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I'd like to acknowledge. Uh, while we remember Ken Clark, I'd also like to take, take a second to commend the Rough Riders for uh, what they've done to remember our great friend Warren Woods. I still remember that Ken Clark came in that Labor Day game, and that was before. You just blow people away with height. Be, like, the fact that his mother died would have been all over. It would have been the main thing. We probably, I can't. I don't think we knew about it before the game was over when he told us about it in the scrum. And I remember him standing there. I'm thinking, man, this guy did all this, and his mom had died. How hard? Tell me the tough, strong, and how yeah. tough he was and stuff. And say Warren Woods, it just the press box is kind of missing. We didn't hear that cackle, that la- that distinctive laugh of Warren Woods. And I, I walk by the uh, plaque every time and look at it and touch it. And I think about what great things I. Warren Woods and I golfed quite a bit together over the summer, and we, I missed those opportunities and those good times, and uh, he has missed, and TSN did a nice job of recognizing him, too, for 
during the game that show a local media guy and Glenn Suter says some great things. They're all good things. Thanks to everybody. You know, everybody. Yeah. I mean, we should all strive for that. Um, you know, how many people do you know who had absolutely no enemies? Um, uh, well, you know, I'm talking to one, but I'm, I, yeah. I, 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 I am reminded of my detractors every day. So uh, Warren Woods, uh, just, uh, just a tremendous guy, and I'm glad it's just so nice of our fighters to remember him. I just wanted to make sure that that was emphasized in addition to, to honoring the memory and contributions of Ken Clark. Okay, I meant to do day to be the day I dragged up the email from Mark Oh, Malachuk. you always forget this. Is there, there's a <laughs> and I look at my phone and go in at the end. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, ah, I gotta get this thing. One second. Oh, this is professional. Now, we should have music. Do, 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 do. I don't know why I don't have this ready. Uh, it's, it's a little... Uh, it's a little thing that uh, Mark Melnichuk, our producer, insists that we we uh, we include at the end of every podcast or face a firing squad, or whatever the consequences may be. Well, the consequences, uh, Matt, can't be stiff enough because we keep forgetting. So I don't know why I keep forgetting this thing. Um, um, and I'm scrolling through my emails, hoping I can find it. Uh, that's not it. I'm sure we're, I'm sure we're just captivating the audience right now. Um, when I'm doing email searches, how do we do that? <laughs> Basically, if you like this podcast, uh, please feel free to give it a, a five-star rating. It, rating. it helps us grow the audience. Uh, you can find this podcast pretty much anywhere that you you uh, get podcasts. That being and Stitcher, too. Where Stitcher, the heck that means? Spotify, Apple Music, or something. <laughs> this has been a really smooth ending, and I'm so proud of this uh, moment in my career. Uh, I, won't, I won't devour anyone's time with that any further. Uh, it's like the Riot uh, Games. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's like the ride again. We started off strong and we're limping to a finish. How's that? Exactly. So I'm going to get out of here. Uh, we're McCormick. I'm Rob Vanstone. And sorry again for this catastrophic ending. Uh, the micro, microcosm of what uh, we all saw on uh, Friday night. Thanks so much for being with us. And we'll do this again next week, hopefully with more grace uh, near the conclusion. Take care and stay safe.